Welcome along to the Mill Bar, Jason Forrest here with you as ever. Coming up on the show this week, we'll be hearing from Angela Rippon as we talk about the big conversation around dementia with Care UK. We'll be having a chat with one of the stars of Stranger Scenes, which is at the Grand in Wolverhampton from the 15th of January. Gatehouse Theatre lets us know what's going on as we find out what's happening with Keith Harrison. We'll also be talking to Janko from Aggressive Swans and hearing some of their music. Plus, on top of that, Dr Sarah Jarvis suggests you give up smoking. That's all on the way on the show this week. Welcome to the Milk Bar. 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 From the 15th through to the 17th of January, the world of musical theatre is turned upside down when Stranger Sings arrives at the Wolverhampton Grand to tell us more about his part in the show and some of the high notes that we're hitting. I'm joined now by William Shackleton. Hello, sir. Hello there. How are you doing? I'm good and uh, intrigued. So I hope we're all well and uh, looking forward to an exciting show. Yeah, really, really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to bringing it to the theatre. Very exciting. Okay, so explain a bit more, because here we are in a bit of a a musical parody of Stranger Things. Yes, indeed. So I I think the best way to describe um, this show is that it's it's a love letter to the original Netflix TV show um, written by Jonathan Hogue. Um, an American writer. It originally started off Broadway, um, and um, you know the producers in the UK caught wind of how fantastic it is um, and brought it over to the UK. And um, it's really captured people's imaginations over here as well. So, so what sort of things do we see from the TV series in their own form in this parody version? Yeah, so I would say that. The show itself is um, a parodied version of season one, essentially. So we see, you know, all of the most recognisable characters um, and we just basically see all of their characteristics and their kind of most funny features dialed up. Um, so, yeah, essentially it is a potted version of what happens in season one, um, parodied at every available moment. And with music, and are we looking at original 80s style hits or are we bringing in a few of the flavours that we've heard on the show? <laughs> so um, it's it's an original score um, written by the American writers and with a new arrangement by Adam Gerber, our musical director. Um, so, yeah, it's entirely original. You know, I have to say it's banger after banger. Um, and um, yeah, it's got that eighty synthy flavour that we all love. Okay, tell us about your part in the show then. Cool. So I I play Dustin Henderson. Um, I was hoping you were going to say that because that that was the look <laughs> I was getting here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Dustin is a friend of Will who gets abducted into the Upside Down. Um, and he's part of the group with Mike and Lucas, and they're a group of lovely uh boys who are just trying to you know get through being a teenager have a nice time and their world gets turned upside down no pun intended um through everything that happens in the show 
And uh, having uh, looked at your agents at uh, playing age for yourself, you're, I'm sure they were about 12 or 13 in season yeah. one. I think you play 16 through 25, you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that's that's what's so great about the show. I think, you know, it's, it's really silly. A lot of us multi-role. Um, you know, some people play a hell of a lot of characters. We've got um, our our uh, Hopper, played by Howard Jenkins, who also plays Mrs. Wheeler, um, Mike's mother. So <laughs> <laughs> playing age and type goes slightly out of the window with this one. But it sounds like it's mostly about the, the, the fun and the experience of bringing, let's say, the Mitch Love show into a whole different genre. Absolutely. it's it, it, and, and we found that, you know, at the fans that have arrived to see it have really kind of brought almost that Potter mania that we saw with Harry Potter. You know, it's um, people are just really excited to see an extension of the TV show that we love so much. And so bringing music and comedy to it, um, I think just just increases people's enthusiasm for it. Yeah, I mean, it's right for comedy anyway. I mean, there's some huge, you know, laugh-along laugh moments in the show, as yeah. well as the, uh, the, the demagogons. And theirs <laughs> don't dance, but yours do. Yes, yes, ours do. We have a dancing demagogon and all of the um, fights in our show. Um, where in the TV show, there's lots of explosions and special effects. In ours, um, there's lots of high kicks and, uh, yeah, dancing, basically. So um, come along to see very, very um, camp and furious fight between a dancing demogorgon and a dancing eleven. <laughs> I'm impressed already. Uh, Ego's at the ready uh, for what should be an, an awesome show. That's got to be a snack of choice. I'm not sure whether you can take those into the theatre, to be honest. Don't don't quote me on that. Uh, but uh, it will be an absolutely amazing experience by the sounds of it. Okay, what what is your favourite moment? Wow, that's a really, really good question. Um, what is my favourite moment? Um, I think... One of my favourite moments has to be um, Joyce uh, Byers has a really brilliant song, which is really epic. It's called Crazy. And it's at the point when she first starts to believe that Will is in the light. And um, Hopper says to her, quite understandably, Joyce, I think you're going crazy. And she launches into a big kind of song, big epic song about how she isn't crazy. And within all of that, we have a lot of um, homages to Winona Ryder's various other films. So we have Beetlejuice popping up out of nowhere. We have Edward Scissorhands coming up. Um, we've got references to Heathers and Little Women. And I think that is the moment when not only are we referencing Stranger Things, but we're also referencing loads of other movies and lots of, yeah, kind of movie theatre culture that I think the audience loves. So... That is a particularly fun number to dance in, I have to say. And the, I mean, the costumes, the look of the whole thing, the eighties mullets—it's all there, isn't it? <laughs> it is indeed. We all wear uh, pretty ridiculous wigs. Oh, you mean um, you mean that's not your hair for the show? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, is the, the the one I wear is even more ridiculous than this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like it's going to be absolutely awesome, including, I I assume, uh, riding of bikes on stage. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Come along to see all of that. The boys on their adventures on their bikes. That'll be interesting with the rake at the Grand. I wish you every success with that one. (laughs) Uh, You can go along and see it from the 15th through to the 17th. It is at the Grand Theatre in Wolverhampton. Grandtheatre.co.uk 01902 429212, the box office number. Grab your tickets, be ready for a good time and join the boys and the rest of the gang in the Upside Down. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be really, really fun. And um, I'm sure the audience who come along will have a great time. Brilliant. William Shackleton, thank you for joining us. Thank you. According to research, 80% of adults believe dementia is still misunderstood, either due to misconceptions about the condition or because of embarrassment. To tell us more about how we can avoid these problems, I'm joined by CARE UK's Head of Nursing Care and Dementia Services, Suzanne Mumford, and also by Angela Rippon, journalist, presenter of Star of Strictly and Alzheimer's Society Ambassador. Good afternoon to you both. Good afternoon, Jason. So, first of all, I mean, Angela, tell us a, a bit about uh, your work as ambassador for Alzheimer's and, and what we're seeing here. Well, I got involved with the Alzheimer's Society because back in 2004, so 20 years ago, my late mother, Edna, was diagnosed with vascular dementia. And at the time, I suppose like most people 20 years ago, I was aware of a stigma that was attached at that time to even discussing the word dementia. Um, And I knew very, very little about the condition at all. So I got in touch with the Alzheimer's Society for help and uh, as a result became an ambassador for them, which involves doing basically what I'm doing now, what I've been doing for the last 20 years, which is talking to people about dementia so that they can get a better understanding of it. I co-chair the Prime Minister's Committee on Dementia-Friendly Communities, which is getting knowledge of dementia out into communities. Um, And basically trying to to ensure that anyone who is a carer, anyone who's a member of a family of someone who's just been diagnosed with dementia understands exactly what the disease is and the effects that that disease is going to have on their loved one in the years ahead. Because it is, as Care UK have now identified, only by having a big conversation, not just about dementia, but about any medical condition, that we all get a greater understanding of what it is and therefore, not with knowledge comes the ability to ensure that we can make sure that our loved one can live well with dementia because we don't get upset or as you mentioned embarrassed by by various things that may happen because their personality changes because the minute you recognize and understand that dementia is a disease that eats away at the brain kills off chunks of brain cells and when you think that the brain is that wonderful machine that controls our mind, our body, our actions, what we do, what we think, how we speak, everything that we do, once huge chunks of it die and are not replaced as they are not when you have dementia, then there are going to be major changes in your personality. And the person that you have known and loved as, as, a, as a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a friend for 50, 60 years suddenly is not the same person. And it's once you recognize what those changes are, why they are happening, that you don't get distressed when they scream at you or shout at you. You don't get distressed when when their their preferences in life change and having been a, a vegan or a vegetarian all their life, they suddenly crave a, a, a bacon butty or a piece of steak or whatever, or that they start to, to wander and, and disappear or become agrophobic. All of those personality changes, by talking about dementia and having a greater understanding of it, you don't become distressed or embarrassed by it, and you are better able to help your loved one 
live well with their condition so that they too are not distressed by what is happening to them. Mm-hmm. And, and Suzanne, I mean, with so many different aspects of dementia and, and so many different permutations in different people, it is a conversation where you, you know you you will match on some things if people are talking about the the dementia patient in their life, but others they won't, and uh, it, it is all part of a bigger picture that uh, it, it's all part of you know, caring for these people in the right way and treating them still as people. I think you're absolutely right, Jason. Um, everybody's experience of dementia is unique. Each family's um, experience of dementia is unique. And what KUK have done is put together um, a series of videos of family members talking about their experiences of their loved one through their journey with dementia. So that um, those people out there who perhaps don't know where to turn uh, have something to, to look at, to engage with, and then can join that conversation. Um, KUK also run a number of dementia cafes, um, all of our homes have dementia care coaches who families can come and talk to about their dementia. Um, and we have specialist nurses who support our, our, our families and our residents living with dementia. It's a really important conversation. Um, and if people want more information, they can go to kuk.com forward slash the big dementia conversation to have a look at those resources um, and have that conversation with us. Yeah, and I think one of the problems here is it's noticing the early signs. And Angela, I don't know how it was for you with your mom, but uh, when it comes to it, 10% say they may recognise them. And it, it's it's an initial personality change, which might trigger uh, asking the questions. But as you as you said, I mean, it's, you, you're losing the person you know, and they're developing yeah. into someone different in, in many ways. But, but still, at the, the core, they're the person that you love. I know. I mean, it was very difficult before I got a, um, a diagnosis for my mother. Um, she started to change her character just shortly after my father died very suddenly of a heart attack Um, I mean he literally died within about 15 minutes of having a a heart attack and they'd been married for 63 years and the shock of that gave her a number of mini strokes Um, and she started to change and I thought well she's still grieving but we went beyond the grieving um, process after about a year and I realized that there were things that she was doing that were totally, totally out of kilter with the person that I had known for 60 years of my life. Um, or was, and I mean, she, we would have the most terrible rows. She would she'd make terrible accusations against me. I saw her being really distrustful of people that were close family members. All of these personality changes started to happen. And at the very beginning, before it even occurred to me that there may be something like dementia that was going on, I would, I would, I would answer back. Of course, you know, she was my mum shouting at me. I'm her daughter. I'm not having this, and we would have an argument. Um, it was only when it really got to the point she did something really very, very foolish on one occasion. Um, she was coming up to London, but she she lived in Devon, and I was working in London, and I got her to come up to see me, and I went to meet her off the train at Paddington Station, and she wasn't on the train. And um, I panicked, of course, and it turned out that she had gone to the railway station quite happily. But because she and my father had always come on the train to London from Platform 7, that was where she went. The train was actually leaving from Platform 4. It had not occurred to her to look or to ask anyone. And she got so she didn't catch the train. I mean, fortunately, the staff at Great Western recognized in my mother something that was wrong. They put her on a later train and I finally got her. But it was things like that happening in addition to the the temper tantrums and the other things that made me think, hang on, there's something not right here. And I got her to a doctor 
who did all of those extraordinary tests that they do to, to show whether or not there is something going on in the brain. And um, they, the diagnosis was, yes, your mum has. She's in the early stages of vascular dementia. And that was at the point when I realized that I had to learn about this disease, learn about how to deal with my mum and really how to support her. Um, and not just mm -hmm. how to support her, but also how to how to look after myself. And I say this to people that I meet through my work with the with the Carers Trust, that you have to look after yourself as well, because if you become stressed, if you become too uh, really, really disconcerted about what is happening or embarrassed, we're going to end up with two ill people. And, and that doesn't help anybody. And so mm -hmm. there's, you know, the information for carers looking after themselves is just as important as the information for looking after their loved ones. And that's what comes out of having a conversation. You're not alone. This has happened to people before. You don't have to deal with this on your own. There's information out there. There are experts out there. There are ordinary people like you who are going through exactly the same thing. Talk to them, get their support, get their confidence, get their understanding. And that will help you on your journey with your loved one as they go through this this wicked wicked disease yeah and then whilst there may be more treatments these days that can help in some way uh you know it's, it's still a, a big process and uh it's something as you've already said it's unfortunately you can't reverse the effects that are there uh, suzanne give us those details again on where people can go to to find help and to, to be part of that big conversation so thank you jason so um they can go to careuk.com forward slash the big dementia conversation um or they can pop into any one of our care homes go along check out get more information and see where we go from there well for now uh suzanne mumford uh, care uk's head of nursing and care of dementia services and angela ripon journalist presenter and i think star has strictly been the most exciting part of all of this most recently thank you both for joining <laughs> us thank you very much Lovely. indeed thanks a lot jason <laughs> Aggressive Swans are producing more music, a sound I particularly enjoy. I've enjoyed their music for a number of years now. Tell us more about what's going on. I'm joined now by one of their number, Yanko Rishata. How are you doing, sir? Thank you very much. I'm fine and I'm very happy to be again uh, with you here. <laughs> well, good to talk to you. So uh, give us the background for those who don't know the story so far. Well, Aggressive Swans is the name of the band, and we're probably the the, the nicest uh, Aggressive Swans you can think of, <laughs> and also the most relaxed ones, because uh, we're both uh, full-time musicians, but this is our uh, retreat, this is our fun project, which we do when and how we want to. Um, not very usual in, uh, in modern uh, day business. <laughs> so... We try to have uh, as much fun as we can, and this is our dual project. We are also working, me uh, as a guitar player and producer, Mattia, the singer and the bass player, and um, recently also Leander, Leander Wittmoser, uh, amazing drummer um, because of that, also very busy, but we're lucky for uh, for him to to find time to play with us uh, when we play live. and. Uh, and this uh, this was happening a couple of times uh, the last year. We're looking forward to new gigs uh, in uh, 2024 um, with some new songs coming out. Uh, we have, I believe, two songs that we released since our last chat. Mm -hmm. One of which I just uh, sent you today. Uh, the other one, uh, we'll have to look it up. Yeah, and the, the track we're going to hear is Guest Relations. So explain a bit more about that one, because it it sounds like uh, you're the helpline for a hotel chain. 
and I think that was uh, exactly the uh, the idea behind the song. Although for the lyrics, we'd have to ask um, Mattia, the singer who also writes the lyrics. Uh, but the other song we recently released uh, is uh, called uh, "The Director," and is also in the hotel setting. So we could say that we're getting from the top lower and lower uh, <laughs> through through all the you know managing structures uh, right down to. Um, or maybe right up, depending how you how you see it, to guest relations. Um, and it is about a struggle. It is about a struggle. We're not really sure what is going on because the setting is uh, fictitious. The setting is dreamlike and, um, you know, deep in the fantasy of uh, maybe someone who's uh, traveling a long time and uh, is not really a very sane anymore from all the time spent on the road. So um, the idea is... Uh, that you want to check in in a hotel and it's not an easy task um, more often than not. It gives you a good easy setting for the video when you get around to doing it. <laughs> I think that will be very easy to combine with touring. <laughs> <laughs> this will be the, the natural setting, yes. Because <laughs> uh, I mean, As professional musicians, though, obviously you're playing a sound that normally suits somebody else's music most of the time. And does that mean you suddenly find yourself being influenced by the latest project you've worked on when you're actually coming to be an aggressive swan? Um, maybe, maybe, but uh, that will be for the others to decide. Uh, what we do here is... Uh... 80s uh, with that track I, I would i would dare to say it's pure 80s mm -hmm. uh, we just went full in and we're having fun with it um uh, definitely not something that you could uh, categorize as a chart um hitting sound um but this is also not something really want to uh right now i'm working on two uh classical compositions so it's Probably not right down the alley. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, with the uh, the other work that you've done, I mean, is there anything on record that we might have heard which is one of your day job uh, pieces of music? Uh, possibly there is um, there is one uh, one song by Wiz Khalifa that uses uh, one of my samples. Um, some some other local projects here from Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, Quite a lot of stuff, obviously not under my my, my own name. Yeah, but uh, but you know, because you you asked before about the sound, I don't think that I'm that much that much of a chameleon when it comes to uh, to, to the music. Uh, I kind of do stick to to my own uh, musical taste, uh, even if I try not to. It it always kind of ends up being. Um, being me, uh, which I don't think is the worst thing ever, <laughs> but um, I'll be happy to to provide with some nice lists of uh, of songs <laughs> that I worked on. Obviously, that's always uh, interesting to see what else you've been doing. But I mean, you weren't even born in the eighties, yet you've got this eighties sound. Yeah, I was not born in the eighties. Uh, I was born in the nineties. Uh, but um, I, I guess uh, many many people, you know, find this affinity to the eighties sound, and I, I believe it's because. It was some, in a way, a golden age of music where we had where you had so much happening uh, before already, and so many things were already tried out, and the uh, technical development was also um, uh, very very far um, with synthesizers, with uh, well uh, cassettes and uh, and whatnot. So what came after was uh, I I would say the time of uh, experiments and the time of um, 
of, of, of searching for something new. This is the same thing that happened in the beginning of this 20th century in uh, contemporary classical music where, mm-hmm. uh, where composers were, were, were forcing themselves to get away from, from what was uh, already considered classics mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And uh, we could talk a lot about that, uh, but this is uh, pretty much uh, a philosophical discussion over a beer. <laughs> so um, I would just say that uh, personally, to my to my musical taste, the 80s are, are very close to what I would consider the, uh, the mature version of pop music. Yeah, I particularly, I suppose, as you say, where people were starting to be able to use cassettes and porter studios to create something professional sounding in their own workspace. They didn't have to go to a studio, whereas uh, you know, these days people build a home studio, which is so much uh, far yeah, superior to what could have been done over any time in the 60s, 70s or 80s, even in professional setups. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, I wouldn't say that because we know uh, the stories about many um, chart-hitting artists uh, producing music at home and uh, being very fond of that, which which paints a slightly skewed image because obviously this uh, being this is being um, worked on uh, by professionals uh, afterwards. Uh, but I think this nice uh, synergy comes uh, comes to life when you can develop ideas in places which were not meant for that, which were not even. Uh, possible to work in before, as you say, you can work in your bedroom if you want, um, and then you can take it to a professional setting and bring it to the next level. So um, definitely a very very uh, rapid uh, development. Uh, we're all waiting uh, to see what's going to happen. Obviously, everyone is talking about the AI mm-hmm. mm, when it comes to developing those ideas. I don't think the the point here is to to replace the musician and to replace someone who who comes up with the idea but maybe it will be possible to do more and to do better thanks to some new technology we don't have yet we'll see how that moves on in time meanwhile uh, the technology we do have and the diary clashes which probably limit some of your output however help to uh, to shape and form it in other ways too will be interesting as we head through the year uh, any international tours on the horizon not at the moment not at the moment me personally i'm uh, focusing more on studio work right now um having those, this lovely setting here right at the at the river in the center of munich um so i'm enjoying this uh, very very much and uh I don't really feel like, um, you know, having this uh, this need, this necessity to uh, to travel the world at the moment. It will probably change at some point. Okay, we'll see what happens in time. Meanwhile, though, we're going to take a listen to uh, guest relations. Tell us uh, uh, where we can find this if people do want to pick it up. You can find it anywhere where you can stream music, so uh, on your usual Spotify's and Apple Music's, uh, YouTube uh, as well, I believe. Lately, they also serve music. So uh, look up Aggressive Swans, Guest Relations. And you can get the whole back catalogue of the other work too, which is going to be worthwhile. And of course, you've got uh, websites as well? Yes, uh, AggressiveSwans.com with the newest infos and the links and dates and whatnot. Check it out there. Well, always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for joining us, uh, Yanko Rosetta. And we will uh, at some point hopefully be able to talk to uh, to, to Matt as well. I really hope so as well. Let's <laughs> we'll see if we can get you both in the same place. This is the uh, the joys of your schedules. But uh, have a great time with the music and we look forward to hearing uh, not only the song we're about to enjoy, but more from you in the not too distant future. Yes. Take care. <laughs> have you ever been to the 705?
Now, Stafford Gatehouse has got plenty to come in 2024 after a fantastic panto period to finish off last year. Shakespeare is going to be a thing in the middle of the year as ever. And to tell us exactly what's happening in his diary, I'm joined now by Keith Harrison. How are you doing, sir? I'm great, thanks, Jace. How are you? I'm all right, Tart. So, uh, to get things going in 2024, one of your earliest shows on the 13th has had to add an extra matinee performance because it's been so popular. It's an incredible show. James James Fielden, uh, he's known as the greatest magician, and people are talking about him as uh, like he's the new Darren Brown. And I, I, I've seen bits of his show before in the Gatehouse. He's previously played the Met Studio downstairs. And he always sells out. And it was one of those things whereby we've been waiting for him to scale up the show because we've been saying to him, you know, if you took the show into the main auditorium, you'd sell out there as well. Lo and behold, he sold out so quickly that we've now had to put another show on. So we've got a matinee on on, uh, on the 13th as well. So it's a 2.30 show and a 7.30 show. The matinee went on sale yesterday. It's already uh, it's already selling like hotcakes. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a fantastic show. And it's a real family show as well. So I'm really pleased it's in the afternoon because... 7.30 show, sometimes people might be, be dubious about bringing their kids out. But for 2.30 show in the matinee, uh, it, it's a perfect time to just come along because it's, it's a real family show. He gets all ages involved and it, it's an it's absolutely brilliant show. It's it's modern magic with the old twists in there as well. So the, it, there's a touch when people say about the Devon Brown comparisons, you can see that because some of the stuff you're thinking, How? How has he done that? It's not possible, um, but you've just yeah, seen it. Yeah, but he, he is absolutely amazing. I think Magic's making a bit of a comeback as well. You know, we've we've had two or three decent magicians on in the past 12 months, and they're always sort of doing well. And I think it's one of these things whereby, God bless Paul Daniels, who, again, is somebody who played at the Gatehouse in the past. Uh, but it's it sort of become modern magic. You know, there, there's more of a twist to it. It's got more comedy to it. Um, and yeah, it's a uh, it, it's definitely a genre which is to keep an eye on for for the next twelve months. Absolutely. So keep checking that one out and uh, yeah, look for other events, but make sure you get yourself in there for tickets. We'll uh, give you the details on how you can do that in a short while's time. GatehouseTheatre.co.uk will be your starting point there. Meanwhile, uh, what else is on the way? Because uh, during those colder months, you're going to keep everybody warm with some amazing shows. Yeah, and one of my favourite shows of the year, actually, because I am, uh, you know, a child of the the 60s and 70s and give my age away there, Jason. <laughs> um, but um, on January the 18th, We've got Lost in Music, One Night at the Disco. Now, if, like me, you like Donna Summer, Earth, Wind and Fire, all those sort of great disco hits, this is the show for you. It's a fantastic night. I think one thing to say is almost as soon as the band comes on, people are on their feet. It's if you think you, we might have room somewhere for you to sit down and watch it, you know, but expect it to be when they say one night at the disco it really is like being at a 1970s disco with a big live band fantastic singers you know rose royce all those classics car wash and, and things like that it, it, it's just such a brilliant feel-good show uh, and that's on uh january the 18th um and then on the 19th uh which is the the friday night so that's on the thursday night on the 19th which is the friday night wow uh, a tribute to one of my favorite singers of all time i've seen this guy three times in the flesh life neil diamond hello again the neil diamond songbook uh and i think neil diamond again is he's one of those who's 
made a comeback as well in recent well, years. Well, the darts have helped, haven't they, a bit? The, is it the darts and the football and the whole... I mean, personally, I think they've ruined Sweet Caroline. It, you know, <laughs> I used to love Sweet Caroline, and now it's become this, like, everybody knows it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for me, Neil Diamond has got so many great songs. I mean, obviously started off as a songwriter for The Monkees and the other acts in the 60s as well, and then became this huge, huge, uh, you know, solo entertainer himself. And obviously, unfortunately, very ill now. So he, mm-hmm. he, he won't be doing any more touring. He won't be doing any more singing. So this is the nearest you're going to get to it. And we've had these guys here before, uh, and it is a brilliant show. Full band, there's about nine of them, uh, three backing singers, top quality performers and it, and like i say having been to three neil diamond concerts myself this is the nearest you'll get to it and and the beauty of it is it's in a nice sort of venue like the gatehouse where everybody is sort of close into the stage and, and you get to feel a real part of it so uh, i'm looking forward to that one so i'm gonna have a busy week in next week in a couple yeah. of weeks oh, yeah. with all these shows going on because People often say to me, say, oh, do you come to the shows? And I say, well, no, I don't come to all the shows because I work here. Um, but when you see things like that, One Night at the Disco, the Neil Diamond songbook, definitely I, I'll be coming along for those too. I'm going to have to make sure I have an attitude with Gary to ensure you're not putting in overtime for, in for all this as well. well there you go. <laughs> overtime? Uh, I'll be lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, obviously lots to come. And uh, I mean, as we head through the rest of the year, some some brilliant shows coming up. But of course, uh, I, I think we've got to give uh, a bit of a mention to, to Shakespeare already, I think, don't we? So uh, what's what's happening this summer? Uh, this summer, it's 12th night, the Stafford Shakespeare. So it's going to be the 32nd uh, Stafford Shakespeare production, 12th night. It's a comedy. Uh, it's got some of Shakespeare's best known lines in it. And and it, uh, for me, I, I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I'm amazed that Shakespeare comedy still plays on, uh, you know, 400 years nearly after the event. Mm-hmm. But it does. We only need to look at Midsummer Night's Dream last year to see how how comedy the audience were in stitches throughout Jonathan Hyde was absolutely superb and you know it, it does really work and and we're, we're sort of transponding it this year into a uh, setting in a Cornish village in the 1950s so it's going to have this sort of Cornish uh, theme to it uh, very much if you've seen the film Fisherman's Friends things like that that you know it's got that that, that sort of feel to it and uh I've got to tell you this, Jason, and, and you're going to like this, so I can tell. We've done a deal with Keep Britain Tidy, right. uh, the, the the litter people. So down in Cornwall, obviously, they're always sort of getting fishing nets washed up and they don't know what to do with them. And, you know, they end up going in landfill or, or, or whatever. So we've contacted Keep Britain Tidy down there in Cornwall and said, can we have any spare fishing nets that that wash up on the, the thing. So now we've got a whole like lorry load of fishing nets coming to the gatehouse um that we're going to be able to put out front of house and you so our decorations for the for the front of house are, are, are you know basically free because we're just going to have all these fishing nets and buys and detritus of of, uh, of, uh, of stuff that's washed up on the shore. Uh, and we're going to be able to use that. And the other thing is, last year for um, for Midsummer Night's Dream, if you remember, we had we we were spraying sort of scents. We put these sense machines into the into the auditorium, so mm-hmm. people got the smell and the feel of of the magical forest. 
this year I've said, well, we don't need the sense machines. We're going to have all these fishing nets up from Cornwall. I think they'll probably sort of give us that feel uh, for Cornwall without actually having to do anything, but we'll see what we do. But it, it, it's uh, it, it's going to be a, another amazing event. Uh, we're already talking to, to people for casting. We've got Sean Turner uh, returning as director. Sean directed Midsummer Night's Dream. So again, we know he's got that comic timing. We know... He knows exactly what he's doing with with Shakespeare scripts and um, and plays like this. So um, we're very confident it's going to be another fantastic show. And last year's Midsummer Night's Dream was the biggest ever drama show we've held at the Gatehouse. Five and a half thousand people came to see it over two weeks, which is an incredible number. And it, and you know. It just goes to show there's such a strong appetite for Shakespeare. And people were coming from all over the place, from Wolverhampton, from Stoke, from Derby, from Shrewsbury, and further beyond. So it's a uh, it's a, something that, that's a regional attraction, I think, because there aren't many theatres the size of the Gatehouse that will do a production this big, and they will do it so professionally and uh, and put it on for so long with such a such a good cast. So it's uh, it's something we're really looking forward to. And the other thing with it is... It feels like, you know, it starts on June the 21st from through to July 7th. It feels like it's a long way away, Jason, but it'll be on us before we know it. It's Yeah, um, that's the crazy part. It does fly along this one, and it's always such good fun to uh, just to see the show and, and the way in which Stafford and surrounding areas take to it. So it, it is absolutely a, a, an amazing festival. So it's uh, going to be well worth checking out. I mean, we've, we've touched on just a handful of highlights there. There is so much more. Where do we go to see the full lineup? Uh, the full lineup uh, is at uh, gatehousetheatre.co.uk. Quick honourable mention, because because I know you're down in in the West Midlands, and uh, on the uh, January the twentieth, we've got the UB40 leg the legacy. Our uh, UB40 again, again a band I've seen. Do you know what? Give my age away. Preston Guildhall, nineteen eighty two. I saw uh, <laughs> uh, UB40. So that's uh, how old I am. Um, but well, I was only ten back then. You see. <laughs> I won't say how old I was, but I was older than 10. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so UB40, the legacy, they're on on January the 20th. That's going to be a fantastic show. And I think they're from the, they're from the Black Country. A lot of the members of the band coming from the Black Country. So it's a, uh, it's a one to watch out for as well. Um, but all the listings are on gatehousetheatre.co.uk. You can contact the box office on 01785 619 And if you want to just give them a ring and say, look, if, if you haven't had a brochure, we'll put a brochure in the post to you and we'll, we will send one down to you. You can peruse at your pleasure to uh, to see all the shows that we've got coming up between now and July or right up to the Shakespeare. Well, yeah, one of the amazing theatres we have in our region. We're so blessed. I mean, there's the likes of yourselves, obviously the Grand, the Hippodrome, and all these theatres who are doing so many different things. We've got the arena and uh, yeah, uh, as well in Wolverhampton as well. And so it's it's, it's all uh, a mixture of the arts and culture. And people are travelling around our area to go to the shows they want to see and cherry-picking what's there. And I know there's going to be some amazing low-hanging fruit they're going to enjoy over at the Gatehouse. It's going to be absolutely brilliant. I love I love the arena. It's one of my favourite places to go in Wolverhampton. I think it's an uh, it's an undiscovered gem, and it's great to see also the lighthouse making a comeback now as well, mm -hmm. isn't it? Which is which is also good news down in Wolverhampton, and yeah. obviously the Grand. What a beautiful theatre that is. So yeah, it's uh, people think there'd be a rivalry between there. There really isn't. We we look at these theatres, and we're just all part on the same team. Really, it's fantastic. Yeah, brilliant industry to be a part of. Keep up the good work over at the Gatehouse. We look forward to coming to visit you in the not too distant future. For now, Keith Harrison, thanks again. Thanks, Jason.
Now, as we head into the new year, stopping smoking is once again on the agenda. A way of avoiding the fact that every minute of every day, we end up with somebody admitted to hospital with smoking-related issues. Dr. Sarah Jarvis joins me now to tell us more about the campaign for 2024. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Jason. I hope we find you well. I hope you had a fantastic time over Christmas, but the serious medical work continues into 2024. It does. And of course, this new campaign, we've got 5.3 million smokers in England. We're hoping that this year they can make a quit attempt for one or more of the main motivations, which are one, which are health, family and children and their pockets, the cost. But the really important one we're looking at this year is just to highlight the impact that smokers have on young people, particularly on their children and grandchildren, on the young people around you. If you grow up in a household where your parents or your caregivers smoke, you are almost three times more likely to smoke. And we really want to make a difference to that. Yeah. So you're not only limiting your own life, but you're also limiting that of your loved ones too. Not only through the passive smoking, because it will be a start to them. They, you know, I, I discovered when I went off to university that I, I felt really weird. I didn't know what it was. I was actually having uh, withdrawal symptoms from nicotine from my dad smoking at the time. Wow. And I uh, discovered that when I stood next to someone who was smoking, which you were allowed to do indoors and all sorts back in the 90s. Uh, and uh, it, it then it, uh, it suddenly hit me that actually I was addicted to nicotine too. Yeah, absolutely. But of course, if you smoke, then, you know, if you smoke personally rather than secondhand, it is really even greater. Smoking is extremely addictive. We know it's the nicotine that is addictive, as you say. Now, when we consider that more than one in 10 17-year-olds smoke and more than half of those started between the ages of 14 and 17. If you start before the age of 18, you're going to have higher levels of nicotine dependence compared to somebody who started over the age of 21. And that makes it makes it more difficult for you to quit. You're less likely to make a quit attempt. You're less likely to quit successfully. We know that every parent wants the best for their children. And what, what I'm hoping I'm quite convinced it's going to make a difference for a lot of people is realizing how much impact they can have both by their smoking and by quitting smoking on the young people around them yeah it actually sends the right message and it'll improve Christmas next year if every penny that you would have spent on cigarettes you put in a box this with multiple xboxes next year for Christmas oh. Oh, it really would. Now, stopping smoking is the best thing you can do. One of the best things you can do for your, for your pocket, as you say, but it's also the best thing you can do for your health. And that added motivation, it can significantly reduce the likelihood of children starting smoking. So, you know, if you make 2024 the year that you quit, you can get all the support you need. You can search for free support on Smoke Free. It's got all sorts of helpful information, a local stop smoking services lookup tool, advice on smoking aids, information on how vaping can help you to stop smoking. But, you know, it, it is, I, I'm a parent. I remember the teenage years. I was completely convinced my children didn't pay any attention to what I said, but it's not true. Parents don't appreciate just how much of an impact their own smoking has on their children's behaviour. I've got lots of patients who say, oh, it's fine. I only smoke outside. I don't smoke with my children or my grandchildren. Actually, that doesn't matter. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a help, but they still pick it up because they're modelling that behavior of yours that means if you smoke then you're going to have a significant impact on young people around you and stopping smoking will also have a significant impact reduce the chance that they start in the first place and have to go through all those struggles to quit
Yeah, I know. So avoiding them passive smoking, yes, that's one thing. But as avoiding the uh, yeah, the impression that somebody who they do look up to, whatever they say, the person that is the yeah the caregiver in their family, uh, actually, yeah, the mm -hmm. fact that they uh, see smoking as okay says it's okay to them too. Uh, I, I, look, I, I never fancied taking up smoking. It was never something that was there, even though my dad had, uh, had, had done it all his life from about the age of twelve. Uh, then uh, you know he was he was looking some ways. He didn't get uh, lung cancer. It was a different cancer. Sadly that got him as, uh, as we've talked about in the past but uh, yeah, he still struggled with COPD which was you know, brought on by his smoking he had all sorts of yeah. nerve issues he, the, 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 yeah. there were issues which were there because of his smoking uh, but even though it wasn't what, uh, it, what what sadly took his life but it made so his not, last five years difficult yeah absolutely not every person who gets COPD gets it because of smoking but most do not every person who gets lung cancer gets it because of smoking, but most do. And actually, smoking is not just responsible for lung cancer. It plays a role in dozens of other cancers as well. Yeah. Well, I'll say that, that it's, it can affect all sorts of things, blood pressure, your likelihood of having a stroke. All these things will be impacted purely because you're putting in this chemical and uh also as i've never i've never taken up smoking uh it, it is something that uh, I, I don't get what the appeal is nicotine in my opinion doesn't make you feel good well the problem we've got is that once you've started once you've been exposed to nicotine then unfortunately you are you know addicted for, to, for life so there is always going to be a risk and we know how difficult it is to quit we know people who quit for you know a couple of weeks and then start again this year, though, there is it's much, much easier to quit smoking successfully if you have the right support. If you use a combination of expert support and again, search smoke free, you can find that Better Health Quit Smoking website. It can give you access to all that expert support. If you use a combination of that and quit smoking tools or quit smoking aids, whether it's vaping, whether it's nicotine replacement, et cetera, it can really make a difference. And I think the other thing I really want people to understand is it's never too late to quit. It's really, really important. People say, oh, I've been smoking for so long, it's not going to make a difference. Do you know, within, I mean, within 72 hours, your breathing becomes easier. Within a month, your skin appearance improves. Within three to nine months, you're going to find you're coughing, you're wheezing, your breathing problems get better because your lung function can increase by up to 10% within just a few months. And within a year, you can halve your risk of a heart attack compared to a smoker. So worth it, whatever age, whatever time in your life you're doing. And and just moving to, to vaping can help and, and, and get you some of that benefit. And it'll ease you off once you, uh, you know, use vaping to get off nicotine altogether. And because uh, because you can reduce the amount. OK, so initially, you might find yourself vaping more than you would have smoked, but you can use that as a, as a control get yourself to the point at which you'd feel yeah, less in need of nicotine and then yeah. Yeah, save that cash, save uh, the, the the hassle you're getting and ease some of the burden on the NHS. It really doesn't need the extra from smokers. It really doesn't need the extra. And you're absolutely right. If you are a smoker, vaping can be a very successful way of quitting smoking. But the best way to do it is to combine either vaping or another kind of smoking cessation aid with that expert support. And that's why we're encouraging people to look at Smoke Free so they can find those local stop smoking services. Yeah, because if, if you're free. Well, the free, the, this important thing is free. It, it is it is going to save the nation money, which is the reason why the investment's there to help you out to sort out your yeah. life 
and uh, get yourself together. And you say it's it's getting out of the habit of of putting that thing to your lips and inhaling, and that and that's that's where the uh, the the other aids will uh, sort of ease you off it more gently because you won't have the craving if you're maybe using a patch or gum at the same time. And you have the added bonus of knowing you can significantly reduce the likelihood of children, young people around you starting smoking in the first place. Yeah, because it's not actually that cool. Smelling of cigarettes is not pleasant. You, you, you may have had 400 Lynx gift sets for Christmas, but nothing can combat the smell of uh, cigarette smoke <laughs> in the end. It's not possible. It's the way it works. You will smell horrible. But uh, do use all of these things as a reason not to smoke in the first place or at least to quit when you have started. Give us all those web details again, please. So really simple, free support, just search smoke-free, not just for your health, but to help young people and you know ensure they're not being influenced to start smoking. Oh, Dr. Sarah Jarvis, as ever, speaking wise words, and I thank you for joining us. Pleasure as ever, Jason. That's your lot for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back next week. I'll see you then. Throw up and out. Goodbye from the mill bar. Goodbye from the milk bar. Goodbye from the milk bar. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.